Something is coming. Something hungry for blood. A shadow grows on the wall behind you, swallowing you in darkness. It is almost here. What is it? What if it's the Demogorgon? Oh, Jesus, we're so screwed if it's the Demogorgon. It's not the Demogorgon. An army of troglodytes charge into the chamber. Troglodytes. Told you. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you hear that? That, that sound. Boom. Boom. Boom! <gasps> that didn't come from the troglodytes. Oh. No, that, that came from something else. The Demogorgon! We're oh, deep shit. Will, your action! I don't know. Fireball him! They'd have to roll a 13 or higher. Too risky. Cast a protection spell. Don't be a pussy. Fireball him! Cast protection. The Demogorgon is tired of your silly human bickering. It stops towards you. Boom! Fireball him! Will, stop! Boom! This probably happened that night we tried role-playing. Oh, I need a spanking. I'm a bad, bad girl. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my Helm of Disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five Holy Avenger. Paladins can't use the Helm of Disintegration. Oh. Eternity with nerds. It's the Pasadena Star Trek convention all over again. Anyone want to play Dungeons and Dragons for the next quadrillion years? Sure. I'm yes. on to Rook Eight. I'm the 10th level vice president. Going to join the Great Hall. You can't. It's a trap. I have spells. I'm going to fly. You don't have enough points. I am the Maze Controller. Maze Controller? Maze Controller? Yes. And I have absolute authority in this game. Game? Game. Greetings, programs and users. Once again, it is time for Old Nerds Drinking. I'm John Patrick, the Master Control Program. And here with me this time is a new face to the old drinking uh, community. Well, not a new face, an old face. An old face, but a new face to the studio, we'll say. Yeah, very true. Hi, everybody. I am Dave the Nerd. Um, old, old high school chum of... Mr. El Guapo. How are you doing, sir? I'm tired, man. <laughs> I believe it from what you were saying before about your uh, long days, but uh, I'm glad you can make it here. Uh, usual co-host Rojan is uh, taking some time off, doing some stuff for his podcast, Project Archivist. So we'll be having some guest stars for the next episode. But as is tradition here on Old Nerds Drinking, uh, Dave, what are you drinking? Uh, you made me this delightful charming and very tasty naughty gnome oh man it's a thing i'm making it a thing everybody i'm getting everybody to drink it i'm having one too they're delicious they are i, I was very quite surprised with how good it was mm -hmm. it's not overpowering of any flavor it's a good like you're not really tasting the bitters you're not really tasting the rum it's you're just tasting the verners with like a little bit extra and it just it just makes it great yeah 
but uh, one of the one of the reasons I dragged you out here for this is uh, Dave and I have a history going back to our, our high school days. Uh, we were both uh, avid role players, and we found ourselves in high school, and we even managed to start up uh, my senior year. Uh, I'm not sure what year that my was. My sophomore year. Yeah, uh, we, we started up a uh, role-playing club at the high school and got some people into it. Probably one of the only good things that Carl Poposki did. God bless that guy. I was I was just talking to Mr. Uh, one of our teachers on Wednesday and we got to the subject of Carl Poposki and I I think he's playing in a uh cruise band. Yep, the PM Dallas or Party Machine Dallas, I think. Actually, uh Carl put out his own uh self uh promoted self-recorded uh album. Of him playing his trombone. Oh my god, I need to... It's on Spotify. Oh, I need to find that right away. That... We we were talking about uh, Carl, and it's like, yeah, he's doing doing a cruise band. I'm like, now I wonder if that pays more or less than being a teacher. Depends on the district. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we came up. We were not sure about that. Getting back on subject. Um, so, Dave and I have a a history and a shared love of role-playing. And yeah. uh, there's been some some big news in the role-playing world this uh, these last two weeks. And I thought there was probably nobody better in my friend group to uh, come over and talk about this stuff with. Yeah. Well, being that I've been playing since 1985, I started with a box. Oh, <laughs> uh, I started, um, my uncle taught me Battletech at probably when I was 12 or 13, um, and then that was it until I hit high school, and then uh, myself and a group of friends started playing the Star Wars RPG. The West End Games version. Uh, the the one true Star Wars <laughs> RPG. So, and forever there starts the tale. Once I had started down the dark path, forever had, had it dominated my existence. Yes, yes. <laughs> Come to the dark side. The, the sad thing is, as much as I love role-playing, I did not start playing D&D really till 5th edition. And I started, like I said, back with the box. Um, I moved from the box to second edition. Then I jumped to three five, and I scoffed at fourth edition. We don't talk about fourth edition. Yeah, you should never talk about fourth. No, edition. but we don't talk about fourth. Fourth edition. edition is like if you put Austin Powers in the same regards as James Bond. Well, it's so. We give a lot of sh- we throw a lot of shade at fourth edition, but fourth edition had its place. It was after the the bubble burst on three point five. Yeah, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was hitting a slump. Uh, that would have been like late two late two thousands. Um, two thousand and eight, two thousand ten. Yeah, two thousand eight. Um, because some of the research I was doing for the er, for these articles was talking about it, and it was. That was kind of when MMOs were the biggest they had ever been. Yeah, World of Warcraft. So there's a lot. There's been several times in D and D's history where it was losing to other markets, and it tried to pivot 
to bring back market share. So D&D 4th Edition was an attempt to pivot into the MMO crowd. They rejiggered the system to work more like an MMO. Yeah. To where it's you have powers that, okay, this is my once per combat power. This is my I can only use it once a day power. Um, they made skills kind of just background. They didn't really matter as much anymore. Whereas in 3.5, it was all about your <laughs> skills. Roll a tumble check. Right. <laughs> Roll so, a, uh, what was it? Uh, intimidation and persuasion check together. What? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, roll these. I get plus four for my attribute. I get plus eight for these feats. My skill bonus is, or I've dedicated so many levels in it. I oh, have, don't forget your three magic items that add to it, too. Yeah, my three magic items. So by the time you get to actually roll in the dice, your modifier is plus 18. So as long as you don't botch, you pass the roll. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was a little crazy. Um, but it never did what it was intended. It never drew people away from MMOs. I won't say it didn't capture, but the, the people who were pen and paper enthusiasts didn't like it specifically because it played like an MMO and they didn't play pen and paper RPGs because they wanted to play like an MMO. So it was it was an experiment, but it was a failed experiment. Yeah, then came along 5th edition and it, when it first came out as D&D Next... It was okay. It kind of had the feeling of mm-hmm. traditional. I was just waiting for somebody to mention the dreaded Thacko. And it never happened. And then I lost or got out of the group I was playing because I was going for my undergrad. Then a friend told me, hey, check out Critical Role. Yeah. And um, currently one episode behind their current episode. Do you, do you realize I've never watched any Critical Role? I I watch it just for the um, how should I say the adult humor. Yeah, um, I'm just one of those people. I've never really enjoyed watching other people play a game. Like the, like I'm not. I mean, I watch a lot of Twitch, but what I watch on Twitch is mainly like miniature painting stuff, roof tracks. I was going to say the MST3K channel. I don't like... Okay, so this this is a side rant. There's an MST3K channel and there's a Rift Tracks channel. The MST3K channel sometimes shows Rift Tracks on it. But the Rift Tracks channel just shows Rift Tracks. The MST3K channel puts commercial breaks into their thing. But the thing is, if you don't subscribe to the channel... You just watch commercials, and you still get to watch the movies. The Rift Tracks channel, if you don't subscribe to it, they insert commercials, but they don't stop the movie. I don't subscribe to a lot of uh, YouTube or Twitch channels because you know if I subscribed to every channel I watched, I'd be You're out broke. like <laughs> I'd be out a hundred bucks. I enjoy some of the Rift Tracks stuff, but I can't stand the commercial break, and then I've missed five minutes of the movie. Uh, so, so I stick to MST3K. Well, the classic MST3K, great. The remake with Jonah Hill, eh, not that good. Hit or miss. 
Um, there were some really good episodes, and then there were some just kind of okay ones. Um, or I watched part of season two, The Gauntlet. I don't think I got through it all, but I think The Gauntlet was the first time I had ever watched an MST3K and watched them riff a movie that I had actually seen in a theater. Want to take a stab in the dark into which movie that was? No, no. Oh, it was Mac and Me. Oh. <laughs> which I remember seeing at the Wyandotte Theater and thinking it was a god-awful rip-off of uh, E.T. It, it was a, a two-hour McDonald's commercial. Uh, no, Coke. And McDonald's. It was Coca-Cola bankrolled the movie <laughs> as a way to basically just another form of advertising. But... Because McDonald's was a Coca-Cola uh, licensee, they were featured heavily because at the time it was a big deal that as a fast food franchise, they had Coke. Yeah. So. Well, that's like Griff Tracks. I saw, well, technically two of their movies in the theater. One is kind of apropos for me because of my fandom and other films that the main actor or supporting actor in this film, but still billed as a main actor. And then the other was just a train wreck of a movie. Man, yeah, but Riff Tracks did some more, some more mainstream stuff. Uh, the one that's apropos to me is No Retreat, No Surrender. No ret uh, oh, the, the Van Damme movie. Yeah. Yeah. John Claude Van Damme. Where it like takes place in Seattle and they pull in a whole Bruce Lee narrative to it oh my god yes with like the 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 kid who runs away to an abandoned house and is exactly. trained in kung fu by the ghost of bruce lee exactly oh yeah yeah that that's it's such a cheesy movie but a good martial arts movie not good but a decent martial arts movie for yeah. the 90s. Yeah, and, and it's so weird that Jean-Claude Van Damme's in it, because he's just like the head... Th or the, the Ivan head... the Russian. Yeah, he's the head henchman. He's not even like the main bad guy. He's the bad guy's number one henchman. Exactly. Then the one that was just so bad it was funny, and it, the Rift Tracks just makes it even more funny. To the point that I actually purchased it on Amazon Prime. Too cold. Or too... Oh. Or, or is it you, cold you, as ice? Yes, it is cold as ice. The, the vanilla, vanilla ice, ice story. Oh. Drop that zero and get with the hero. Oh, it's <laughs> the so bad. The movie. Uh, my personal favorite is still Space Mutiny. The, the rift, there's a riff track of Space Mutiny. They did a... Uh, MST3K episode of, of Space Mutiny, and it's just, just amazing. It's, it's a sci-fi movie, but like the interiors of the starship are uh, an industrial warehouse that's not even pretending to be anything other than an industrial warehouse. Um, one of the main bridge crew members is killed by the mutineers. And then the rest of the movie, she's still on the bridge after she's killed. <laughs> as a corpse or as a live person? No, no, as a live person. Oh, um, All the exterior spaceship shots are recycled footage from the 1980s Battlestar Galactica. 
Wait, was that a Cylon I just saw walking by? Yeah, yeah. The the, the the pirates are in the Cylon Raiders, and the good guys are in the Vipers, and the the ship they're on is 100% the Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, if you have not seen it, it is currently free on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, anybody... It is two hours you will you will enjoy. I'll have to think about that this weekend. Uh, yeah. So let, let, let's circle back around to the main topic. <laughs> this is why you don't get a nerd on a show like this. Hey, hey, man, you don't even know. When Sean and I record, we're talking like two hours of raw audio at least, and then it's just cut down to an hour. <laughs> Last week, an article came out, and it it was in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Now, there's nerd cred, then there's nerd cred. Yeah, they're, they're, and this is some this is something we're seeing is um you are seeing nerd cred and specifically gaming coming up a lot more often in traditional media, especially. With this whole COVID BS mm-hmm. going around. Um, last year, there was an article in Forbes talking about uh, Games Workshop, the company that publishes the Warhammer 40K miniature yeah. game. Um, but they compared them against Amazon that, while their stocks are different prices, but if you look at the growth curve of their stock... They're the same. No. Games Workshop has outperformed Amazon Ooh. handedly for the last three years. Interesting. Yeah. They have consistently grown their price. And just the last... even You would think that with the advent of 3D printing, with the glut of other, com- uh, other companies coming out and making miniature games, or even making third-party stuff to use for Warhammer... And even with COVID, that War Games Workshop would be taking a hit. No, this is their third straight year of record-setting profit. Hmm. Even even losing a good chunk of their um, production schedule because it's made overseas and they had problems shipping during COVID. So oh, they, yeah. they missed a lot of delivery deadlines. Their stores were closed. They still put out a third straight record year of profit. That's insane. That is, yeah, it's crazy. But like, so yeah, you have Forbes going, Hey, this gaming company in England is a better investment deal than currently Amazon. (laughs) Um, so then we get to this article in the wall street journal, and this was specifically talking about. So the chain of ownership of dungeons and dragons starts with TSR um, which Gary, which Gary Gygax company? God rest his soul. God rest his soul. Um, in the eighties, they got into financial trouble, and through various business moves, they edged out Gary Gygax out of the company, and were able to keep it financially solvent till nineteen ninety seven, when they had to sell it to Wizards of the Coast. Um, and then in 1999, Wizards of the Coast was bought by Hasbro. <laughs> um, so last week at their shareholders meeting, 
uh, Hasbro announced that they're going to split their company into three division headings. Um, one of them is going to be focused on toys. One of them is going to be focused on IP licensing. The third branch of the company is called Wizards and Digital. It is going to focus, it is going to be headed by Wizards of the Coast and their management team. It's going to focus on expanding existing games and properties. So Dungeons and Dragons, Magic. Deep Beyond. Yeah. Uh, MTG. Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, all that, expanding them. Oh, I didn't think Pokemon was part of. Yeah, Wizards of the Coast made Pokemon. That's why Hasbro bought them. Oh. Because the Pokemon CCG did so amazingly well that Hasbro bought them to have access to the Pokemon CCG. <laughs> um, it's going to... Its second goal is going to be creating new game properties. So, new CCGs, new art role-playing games, new board games. Great. Now we're going to have a Pokemon RPG. You could be Ash Ketchum. Who do you pick as your first Pokemon? Um, Charmander. Got Always <laughs> Charmander. And then their last goal will be overseeing the digital licensing of their gaming properties. So, D&D video games, the Magic Online game, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the other... Th so this is the interesting part was... At the very end of the article, in the last paragraph, they mentioned that in the coming year, they had signed collaboration agreements for Magic the Gathering with Games Workshop oh, nice. and Lord of the Rings. Ooh. So, Games Workshop is a company that has been traditionally ironclad in control of their property. They are very selective about who they license to and how they license. So them opening up to Watsi is huge. Um, and then the Lord of the Rings. So Lord of the Rings, I don't know if you remember this, um, but way back in the day, I played a lot of Magic. Yeah, we we played Magic in uh, Symphonic Band. Uh, During did, Channel 1 and everything. Did we? I, yeah, because yeah, I, I, I think right after high school, or like middle of high school is when I quit Magic Cold Turkey. Yeah. Um, but I was beta to 5th edition. And there was an intellectual property battle between uh, Wizards of the Coast and the uh, Tolkien Estate. Because the Tolkien Estate had a Middle-Earth card game. And in the game, one of the concepts of magic was to show that you had used a card, you, tur it. you turned it sideways to indicate tapping it. So, Wizards of the Coast tried to assert that they owned the, the intellectual right to the idea of turning a card sideways to indicate that it had been used as a game mechanic. And specifically, they went after the Middle-Earth card game. <laughs> oh, poor, poor, poor. Oh, so the Tolkien estate said, hey, that's cool. We understand that's your intellectual property. You, you want to do that. However, we own the term orc. 
So unless you want to change every card you have that uses the word ORC to indicate an orc and pay us a royalty on them, how about you just let this slide? Yeah. Uh, we'll do that, sir. Not, not a problem, sir. Yep. Uh, which is very important to note that in Games Workshop's games, all of their orcs are spelled O-R-K, O-R-K. to specifically distance them from Tolkien orcs. <laughs> so yeah, th- this is a huge deal. Uh, Hasbro has, you know, the toy business isn't what it used to be 20 years, excuse, excuse me, the toy business isn't what it used to be 40 years ago. <laughs> I know. It's a bitter pill to swallow, dude. It's a yeah, bitter pill the, to swallow. The heyday of the 80s, the cartoons as just a half an hour commercial for toy lines. Um, I still think the 90s was like 10 years ago when it's 30. But this is a thing. You have essentially one of the more powerful companies in the toy mart toy and entertainment yeah i mean hasbro still covers the transformers gi joe gi joe uh my little pony which i'm told some people still watch but so yeah you have this big powerful company and what they originally bought as kind of just a side thing to get um pokemon is now becoming a core part of their business for the foreseeable future Hasbro, in 2020, declared an 8% net loss in their business. However, the Wizards of the Coast brand posted, I think, a 20 to 30% profit. So Wizards, out as a division, outstripped the parent company percentage-wise. And that's probably because of D&D Beyond and all the digital content that they put right. out. And... And just lever- like leveraging D&D as, I wouldn't say leveraging D&D, but I would say that we have reached a point of cultural saturation. I would say that thanks to the kind of just nerdification of the mainstream, that now where D&D used to be guys like us in a basement, now D&D is Joe Manjo... Man- Manganella. Man, Joe Manganella. Man, I can never pronounce his name right. Well, you got him. You got uh, Matthew Lillard. You got Matthew. Vin Diesel. You got uh, Stephen Colbert. You got, God, uh, uh, Terry uh, Crews. Terry Crews. Um, the, the the newly crowned Lord of the Nerds, Henry Cavill. Yeah. Um, Deborah Ann Wool, I think it is. She played Jessica on True Blood. Never uh, watched True Blood. Um, she played the female lead on um, Daredevil, Netflix Daredevil. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Now, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. She uh, relics and rarities from Geek and Sundry. She's GM on that. Oh, yeah. So we've we've got this where D in the 1980s we had uh, monsters and mazes, mazes with Tom Hanks with Tom God. Hanks. Uh, and all the satanic... The uh, satanic panic. Yep. And to now it's the point where, like, normal people are talking about D&D because it's just... Because it's... They're watching Critical Role. Yeah. Um, they're, they're... 
They watched it on Big Bang Theory. They watched it on the, uh, what was it, Bender's Game from Futurama. I was actually, I was going to say Stranger Things. Well, that too. Um, and, and Stranger Things, it was they played it in the they played it in the show, and then they made a a starter box set of that, the module that the kid was running. Yep, the House of uh, Thelestrias, I think it was. I don't know. I've never. I, I haven't picked up that box set, but um, I do D and D Beyond, and they had a good deal on the legendary bundle, which is every resource that they had at the time. So I got. That, I got every module that they put out as of, I want to say, December. All the source books that they had out oh, wow. as of December. It was like $250 for everything. Yeah, but for the the, for the, com, the content level that that is, that, that's, that's a decent like deal. That's $800, $900 worth of content, and I got for 250 I was like, done. And, and, and it's always with me. And that's a good point to bring up in this, uh, talking about the financials of it. So you've got D&D Beyond, which is a website where you can run online games and you can buy the resources online yep. to use them on their website. It's all cloud-based. So you are selling a product with zero physical cost. And it's half the price of the physical cost, the physical books. Yeah, which is all profit. Yeah. It's all profit. So they're making a higher profit margin off that stuff. So it behooves them to um, reinvest into that as a resource. Yep. So that's why we see D&D, or Wizards of the Coast, doing so well just off of D&D. Yep. Um, And you would think that in a time of pandemic, uh, we'd see a dip because people can't get together and play. But But then you got uh, Foundry RPG. You got... Roll twenty. You got uh, Albert Rodeo. You got uh, Shard Tabletop. You got all these VTT or Virtual Tabletop. Uh, tabletop Simulator as well. Yeah, um, you got all these different uh, resources that throw in a map, throw in some tokens, hop on Skype, hop on uh, Dis- Discord. It is a huge now. Discord and Roll20, Discord and Foundry, uh, Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, you name it. Uh, and, you know, that's a, that's a whole other side conversation is the, like, the technological advancements of role-playing. Like, I remember when just having a dry erase pre-squared out map that you could draw on was, like, changing the world. Because oh, yeah. I could put paper. Yeah, I could put the miniatures on this thing, draw the dungeon, then wipe it all off and do it again. And now you've got guys building tables with with a television in it yes. or a projector going down on Don't it. I, yeah, so you can put the miniatures on that, or or even using stuff like Dwarven Forge. I'm seeing your uh, castle ruins there. Uh, that that's actually a display board for one of my uh, 40k armies, but uh, but it, it's the yeah. same thing. I mean, mocking up an entire uh, thing on a piece of poster board, on oh, God, a w- piece of plywood or something, just to set down and like, boom! Here's your 3D virtual terrain. That way you can see all the different levels. I I if I had the money, I would have more Dwarven Forge because man, I love their stuff. But boy, does it cost! 
But then you sent out a separate article for me to take it, Gandret. Yeah, this was an interesting one. Um, this was, I believe, from Viceland. Um, and the the title of the article is, Could Role-Playing Games Be the Next Marvel Cinematic Universe? So, Marvel did, with the cinematic universe, kind of what Hollywood hasn't seen since, like, the early era of cinemas back to the the uh, universal monsters yes where it was you have these characters you have a narrative around these characters but these characters move through other movies and you're selling not just the characters themselves but the universe that those characters share and then japan came through with kaiju universe yeah, and japan did kaiju and the various the whole i don't what is the uh that's Shojin. But the, the, basically the, the, the genre of giant rubber monster suits. Yeah. Um, so they had that, and then it never really caught in America again until Marvel Cinematics. Like, you would have characters that had their own universe, but they didn't often slip into another universe. No. And then you never had a shared narrative told long form through 10 years of movies set in this universe. God, it has been 10 years. But then it, but that's what it poses that Hollywood's always looking for the next thing, the next Marvel cinematic universe. And it really does beg the question that could role playing games do this? So we, we had starting in the early eighties, the D and D cartoon. Yeah. And then we had the 2000s D&D movie. Yep. And its various direct-to-DVD sequels. Uh, then, I want to say it was in 2008, there was a Dragonlance uh, animated movie. Mm-hmm. And now, next year, you have uh, Chris Pine, yeah, it's a... Hugh Grant, Michelle Rodriguez, Sophia Lillis, Justice Smith, and Roger Jean Page all going to be in a brand new Dungeons and Dragons movie? Uh, yep. And, it, um, and uh, going back to uh, Joe Mangiello, I, did, I said it wrong, didn't I? Uh, close enough. Yeah. He is working with uh, Margaret Weiss Productions to do a dragon, a new Dragonlance uh, movie. Nice. Or project. They haven't said exactly what it's going to be, but as as he is now the... One of the high lords of nerddom, um, he was a a direct force behind that passion project. But yeah, so we see Hollywood looking at Dungeons and Dragons specifically. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons is more than just those two words. Um, well, in its barest sense, the game is the rules. Um, there are settings tied, uh, settings that are tied to that rules. Tons um, of different settings. So over the history of D&D, just naming off some of them, uh, we have Greyhawk, which was the original default setting. Yep. We had the Forgotten Realms, which was prob possibly one of the most expansive fantasy settings. And probably one of the best well-known with Baldur's yeah. Gate, Waterdeep, uh, Neverwinter... Uh, R.A. Salvatore's Dritz books. Yeah. Those are all set in the Forgotten Realms. 
Um, then you have Ravenloft, which was their kind of gothic horror setting. Uh, Spelljammer, which was their <laughs> version of Star Trek. <laughs> Magic ships in space. Uh, you had Dark Sun. Dark Sun. Uh, you had uh, El. What was it? El Jahar? Uh, Al Kadim. Al Kadim. Which was their kind of Arabian night setting. They had um, Eberron. Eberron Eb- uh, comes later. Yeah. Um, they had Kurtor, which was yeah. their uh, kind of Oriental adventures. Yeah. Um, they had Planescape, which was weird. Then you had some of the ones that were like very. Um, you had Council of the Worms, which was a setting where you played dragons. Um, you had Birthright, which was kind of their attempt to do like Arthurian fantasy. Yeah. Um, Red Steel was. I, I had I had the box set, but I couldn't for. I think it was more of a swashbuckly kind of. Oh, we forgot Dragonlance. We forgot Dragonlance. So uh, Dragonlance was these super high fantasy riding dragons. So, so if you look at all of those settings, as a possible spinoffs, so you have Dungeons and Dragons as the main brand, and then you can have adventures set in all these other um, campaign settings and you can choose if you want to put a narrative between them they can all be their own standalone stories or you can just mine the Forgotten Realms and set a whole series of movies in the Forgotten Realms oh, if you took every one of the Dritz novels and turned them into a movie you're set for 50, 60 years? <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there is potential there. There's potential to do a lot of storytelling in those realms. And now that Marvel finished their first big arc, everybody's kind of looking at like, okay, can they put lightning in a bottle a second time? Is the next big phase, the best, the next big arc of Marvel going to be as big and as spectacular as the first one was? And especially now that, let's face it, we all aren't looking at the movies Marvel's got in the pipe and going, oh man, are we all super excited for The Eternals? No. Um... (laughs) Is everybody, like, are there a legion of Shang-Chi fans out there that are going to be lining up to see Shang-Chi in the Ten Rings? Probably not. Um, so so Marvel's got this, I mean, they, they, ju- they did just deliver the first of their Disney Plus series. Yeah, WakandaVision, which I still haven't watched. Did you just call it WakandaVision? Yes. <laughs> WandaVision. <laughs> Now, <laughs> now I want WakandaVision. Now I really want WakandaVision. I want a like ten part series that's just like a sitcom set in Wakanda. Could you imagine how good that would be? Or you get Suri and uh, Vision together. Oh my god! But it's like an odd couple thing. Exactly. Oh Disney with, their, with our neighbor. Uh... Black Panther and Scarlet Witch. Man, I am so... Be like Lenny and Squiggy from uh, Laverne and Shirley. Disney Plus, if you're listening. Make that happen. Yes. Uh. (laughs) 
But WandaVision. Yeah. Haven't so, watched so, an episode yet. So I think Marvel's in this spot right now where it's because of the weird break that happened because of COVID. And what happened right before that was they just got the Fox properties back. Uh, while COVID was going on, they got the Marvel Netflix properties back. There's still the ongoing issue of the Sony, but now Marvel has pretty much, with the exception of the Sony things, everything's back in the House of M. So there is potential to do Marvel Cinematic Universe-esque stories in D&D. But there are other games that the same potential exists in. The, the cool thing about an RPG universe is... It's the universe, it's more the universe than the characters. So you can tell a story in the universe, it's kind of like Star Wars. So you have Rogue One, where you told a standalone story in the Star Wars universe, using the, Ro or using the characters of Rogue One, and in the end, they all die. And then you can go make the next Star Wars movie, and it's still in the same universe, but it's all new characters, having an all new plot. Well... Or even spin off to a TV series, a la The Mandalorian. Yep. So, um, in that specific article, uh, they mentioned that some other properties that were being looked at to change to move or to option for movies um, were the ones they listed were Delta Green, Harlem Unbound, Pugmire, uh, Savage Worlds, and Deadlands. The last two I know. Um, I know Delta Green. Uh, Delta Green is a modern kind of military RPG, but it's like you are the special super elite military force that investigates the Cthulhu monsters. Okay. Um, I've never heard of Harlem Unbound, and I've never heard of Pugmire. Savage Worlds and Deadlands is a little redundant because now Deadlands is Savage Worlds. Yeah. Uh, but, but Deadlands is a good one. I, I'd like Deadlands for those who do not know is a it started out as a old west horror RPG so it's uh, an alternate history where the civil war instead of decisively winning just kind of petered out and in the western United States this miracle ore called ghost rock was found that powered all sorts of weird science machines and you found out that it was powered by basically souls trapped in the uh, the rock. There were ancient evil spirits that were trying to basically turn the world into a a living horrorscape. It was a game I loved. Um, I still have a lot of love for. In fact, I'm waiting on the most recent version of it uh, from a Kickstarter I backed, which is in shipping to me at this moment. Um, but then... They spun off Deadlands to a second game called Deadlands Hell on Earth, which took the Deadlands timeline and advanced it to the future, but of course it's a post-apocalyptic future. And then there was Deadlands Lost Colony, which was, it took the Deadlands story and it was set on a planet on the other side of the universe that they got to through weird science, and it's space adventure, but still set in the Deadlands universe. So this is kind of exactly this 
the story you could make a cinematic universe off of because all those games, even though they take place over a long period of time, can be interconnected. Yeah. And then furthermore, since those were published when Deadlands first came out, they've also added uh, Deadlands Noir. But I mean, they could go beyond what you, or what they listed in the article. What if they took, oh, I don't know, the World of Darkness RPG? The World of Darkness is one that um, they tried many times to kind of license into something. Uh, they ran into some problems because Vampire the Masquerade is loosely based on a book, a book called Kindred the Embraced. And then that book was in turn, before World of Darkness, um, a TV show for a while. They, they, they only, I think they made less than a dozen episodes of it, but uh, it was it was a produced TV show. But yeah, World of Darkness is definitely one that there's a lot of storytelling and a lot of crossover storytelling potential in there. Well, they wouldn't even have to do uh, Vampire Masquerade. There's Vampire Requiem. There's, um, I think, two or three other vampire offshoots well there there is vampire the requiem is the only one that's a a separate universe um the other one is they have vampire dark ages which is the same universe as vampire the masquerade but set in the dark ages so but i mean and even if not including vampire there's the werewolf story there's the mages there's the just plain vanilla world of darkness um, but th- there's there's a compelling story. There's compelling stories to be told in there. Yeah. Um, but you see an example of what could be with uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. Uh, that was directly based off of the Cyberpunk pen and paper RPG, and was turned into a AAA title video game. I mean, yeah, there were some growing pains on the release. Um, but it's still a, a really incredible game. And holy crap, would I love to see a cyberpunk-based movie. Uh, there's... Well, they kind of had a Shadowrun-based movie called Bright. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Shadow, Shadowrun's another one where it can be a multi-genre movie because you also have Earth Dawn, which was the pre-his- like the fantasy history of Shadowrun. Um, and there was another White Wolf game, uh, the Aeon series, which it's it was a story told in three stages. You had the first game was called Adventure, and it was kind of like a 1920s pulp game. Then you had Aberrant, which took the story to the modern day, and it was a superhero story. And then... It ended up in Aeon Trinity, which was a far future kind of sci-fi game. But it was the same universe told over that long period of time. Another another example was there is a, a Swedish artist um, I've talked about on here, Simon Stalag. Yeah. Um, he, is, he put out a couple of art books, and one of his art books, they... Uh, made a role-playing game based on it called Tales from the Loop. Okay. And based on that role-playing game, Amazon optioned that to a uh, TV series. So it was a 12-issue or 12-episode TV show based on, loosely on those works. 
Um, and it's it's got like a Twilight Zone vibe to it where it's uh, every episode's a standalone story. Yeah. All set in the same universe. And kind of they're loosely tied together. But I mean, like if you just talk about like independent RPGs that could be branched out to a cinematic universe, I think that's what the idea that they're looking for in Hollywood is. They want a universe where they can tell multiple different stories within that same universe. The Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to... I'm looking at your books trying to see if I think of or see any other titles that would make a decent universe. Uh, I mean, books I've read. Uh, they, they, they did make an RPG for The Expanse. Yeah. That, then we're getting into the what or the the reverse of the argument of movie series they made into RPGs, and we're talking about RPGs that could be made into movies. Yeah, because if you go movies or TV shows that went to RPG form, you got Leverage, Supernatural. Well, yeah, Margaret Weiss Productions. That was the that was their bread and butter for a while. Was uh, licensed games they did. Leverage, Supernatural, Smallville, Buffy... No, not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was another one. Um, they did Battlestar Galactica. They did They did the Marvel RPG for a while. <sighs> but yeah, when it comes to a continued uh, RPG cinematic universe, if you will, if it's going to be D&D based, their best bet is to stick with Faerun and the Forgotten Realms because a lot of Twitch streamers that our gamers is starting to play Boulder's Gate 3. You have mm-hmm. Neverwinter's Night and Neverwinter's Night 2. You have uh, all the different Waterdeep games. That are the, there. there is one significant roadblock to doing anything movie-based in the Forgotten Realms. And that is the fact that while Dungeons & Dragons Wizards of the Coast owns the Forgotten Realms... Many of the people, places, and things that we associate with Forgotten Realms... Salvatore. No. Ed Greenwood. Oh, that's right. um, ...are the express property of Ed Greenwood, who essentially created the Forgotten Realms for um, TSR back in the day. Um, That was why when D&D 3rd Edition came out and they made the Forgotten Realms sourcebook... They advanced the timeline 400 years that had been some cataclysmic uh, event to kill off many of the named characters was because the characters they killed off were people that Ed Greenwood owned because he he created the original ideas for it. He wrote many of the books that were set in it. Um, So many of them outside of Dritz, the most famous characters in the Forgotten Realms are pretty much all Ed Greenwood's creations. But that being said, I mean, there's still, there's still meat on the bone there. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just, we exist in this kind of world where uh, Hollywood's kind of chasing the dragon. It's, if something works, then it's, we've either got to find a way to copy that thing that works or... Beat it like a dead horse. Yeah, beat it like a dead horse till there's nothing left in it. Um, and now for something completely different. 
Greetings, listeners. This is the Master Control Program, once again from the Edit Suite. At this point in the podcast, we diverge to a pretty significant off-topic conversation that lasted for the better part of 20 minutes. So now we're going to pick back up in the conversation where we start talking about TV shows that share the same universe. Enjoy! So does that mean the librarian and uh leverage are, are shared in the universe. same universe <laughs> see that that's an, that's another because christian kane was on both shows yeah um and in fact the last episode of this podcast we talked about the uh the gilmore girl soprano paradox i remember hearing that yeah but that's a that's another whole subject i'd love to just sit down and watch is like the tv shows that weirdly share a universe theoretically supernatural and scooby-doo since they had that one crossover yes they do um and that share which technically scooby-doo also shares a universe with hellraiser yeah um and and gilligan's island and gilligan's island but also and this is this is this is a fun one you can technically argue that Scooby-Doo takes place in the same universe as Futurama. Intrigue me. In the original Scooby-Doo, one of the many reoccurring guests was the Harlem Globetrotters. In Futurama uh, lore, the Harlem Globetrotters were aliens from the planet Globetrotter who had came to Earth. (laughs) So, because Scooby-Doo met the Harlem Globetrotters, technically they can exist in the same universe as Futurama. Oh God! Um, but like, like all the Dick Wolf shows supposedly take place in the same universe. Yeah. Um, there, there's a couple other shows, like weird ones, where the, like shows that take place in the same universe. It's, um, and I can't think of any any examples right away. But so the and and also uh, Scooby Doo takes place in the DC universe. Yeah. Because they they met the Super Friends. Well, so does Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're getting at a good point where we can call it an episode. Uh, Dave, where can people find you out in the world? Uh, you can find me... God, I, I haven't done this in so long. Um, if you go to DaveNC.com, that's my personal website, uh, you can find episodes of my podcast, Dave's Nerd Compendium, which I've been on a hiatus since August because of work and student teaching and school and thank god that's done i have my (laughs) masters but Uh, i'm going back for another masters here soon anyway so um but yeah davenc.com it you can follow my or follow me there it'll take you to my twitter page uh the facebook group for my podcast um if you see somebody posting from dave patterson on any one of john's things it's probably me yep just search dave the nerd on facebook and you can find me and if you go back through his podcast you might even be able to find a couple episodes starring me oh yeah uh, a couple of the nerd book club episodes uh rpg one coincidentally we always talk about rpgs for some reason yeah it's a shared interest and of course drinking because i used to do a show called i'm thirsty yep um Oh man, yeah, we did a, did a couple episodes of that. Oh yeah, still have a couple more that we need to do, but getting me and Brewski together is kind of hard. We're getting old; it's hard to uh, line up schedules. 
Oh yeah, especially with y'all having kids and me teaching kids. <laughs> in some cases, my kids. No, they weren't in my class when I was student teaching. How do you know? Uh, because I remember every one of my students' names. <laughs> well, you were at their school, so it, it, yeah. it's possible. But yeah, I, I probably saw them the little bit that I was there when students actually came in. Right. Oh man, but. And you can always find us at Old Nerds Drinking, the Facebook group, or the Old Nerds Drinking Facebook page. OldNerdsDrinking at gmail.com. Yep, or you can contact <laughs> us at OldNerdsDrinking at gmail.com. But as always, I'm John Patrick, the Master Control Program, and this is... End of line.